This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, time for Fan Mail Friday. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo and Kim Seltzer again today. We'll be answering your questions and dropping some knowledge and feedback to help you kick the weekend off right. If you're new to the Art of Charm podcast, this is not where you should start. Most of our content is more in-depth and longer format, so check out the best of at theartofcharm.com slash best or the fundamentals toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of nonverbal communication and body language, negotiation, attraction, networking, and everything else we teach here at The Art of Charm. We'll send it all to your inbox if you text charmed, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444, or just go to theartofcharm.com. All right, let's cut to it. Hi there. I listen to your show every week. You guys always have great content, and thank you so much for all that you share. So I have an embarrassing question for you that I'm sure other listeners might struggle with as well. What do you think about someone who is dating with a herpes diagnosis? I've always been the type of person to be in a relationship before ever doing the deed, so it definitely isn't a thing where I had all these one-night stands. I have no idea when or where it came from or how long I've had it for. I never had any symptoms to be worried about. Then one day I had a small rash on my lower back and my friend thought that it might be herpes and I had to find out. I went to the doctor and got blood work. Turns out I have type 1 and type 2 herpes. All I ever wanted in my life is to have a family of my own one day, but this sure dampened my hope. I dated two more guys since I found out five years ago and told them about it before sex happened but I found that it caused me to really lower my standards and put up with more crap because I didn't feel that I was worth being with a good guy. I've been single again for about a year, and I'm totally okay with it, but at the same time, I would like a good relationship one day. I no longer allow myself to put up with a guy who's got a lot of red flags, but I also notice that I don't even allow myself to still be worthy of a good guy either. What do you suggest for someone in this situation? It's also scary to open up to someone and tell them and then just hope and pray they don't tell anyone else. And when do you suggest telling someone? First couple of dates? After things get serious? I definitely would say something before anything sexual happens, but I don't want to lead someone on until it gets serious and then say, oh, by the way, I have herpes. It just doesn't seem fair. I have no idea what to do. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Yikes. So this one seems a little bit tough because as a guy, it, I would definitely want to know, right? It's And it's all, it's only fair to tell the other person. But I also see the dilemma where if you're dating someone and you're, you're at dinner on the first date, you're not exactly, it's, it's when do you, when do you break it to the other person so that you don't totally scare them off, gross them out, whatever? When is it too early? It's obviously too late when you're about to initiate physical contact because that's, it's kind of like the bait and switch, right? 
Yeah. I mean, this is, it, it is a tough one. And it reminds me of just, you know, anything that somebody has that in their mind is a big deal or is getting away in the way of like relationships and dating, like we could take this issues of herpes and make it a lot of different things. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's communication is key for sure. Um, I, I think though, when you're communicating it and when you feel comfortable doing that, and I think that's like a case by case basis, you should think about how you want your partner to take the news. Like you don't want to highlight that it's a huge problem, right? So if you, you don't want to say, I have some awful news for you and be really negative about it. But instead I would suggest, and this is what I've had other clients do, you know, just be more casual, be very direct and not emotional about it and really know your facts because your partner's going to want to definitely know more about it. And especially if he or she really likes you, they'll, they'll want to work with you. Um, but you know what jumped out at me even more so than like how to talk to them or how to talk to the partners was this feelings of low self-worth. You know, like she, that person was saying it was scary to open up and she's embarrassed. And I know that people who have dealt like with stuff like this, they feel dirty or shameful or unattractive. And, you know, look, I, we all have scarlet letters, so to speak. And if we think negative about it, so will the other person. So I would suggest really get more work around this. I know there's a lot of support groups out there. There's chat rooms. There's a lot of resources with other people who have herpes. And I mean, I think there's a statistic, something like at least one in four American women have genital herpes. So it's it's a common thing. And I think if she got support around that, it would help her a great deal. Yeah, I mean, for me, it seems like you really need to, first of all, you need to be super confident to do this because you have to be willing to put yourself out there in a way that's highly uncomfortable. I do think that you, obviously, you have to do this. You cannot dupe people into this. This is, it's it's awful, it's unfair, but... uh, I know a lot of people that that actually a lot of guy friends that have this and it's funny because they're they don't it's just not a big deal for a lot of them. Um mm-hmm. one of my friends, he actually AOC alumni, I ran into him in Vegas and I was like, "What are you doing here?" and he's like, "Oh, I'm at a herpes dating event." They have these meetup groups where people go who all just they have it and then you hang out and it's all it's just a, it's all under the table, right? It's, or it's all, what do you call it? Under the bridge. It's all water under the bridge. Everybody there has it. You don't talk about it. It's not a big thing. It's just everybody in that pool is open. And, um, he, he's super funny with it because the way he says it is, oh, I'm, I'm not worried about it. If, if I didn't have herpes by now, I'd have herpes by now, which I think is <laughs> hilarious because yeah, he's basically saying, look, it's, it's only affected my life in, in these minimal ways that were much right. bigger in my mind. And he got it. He got it through totally getting the shaft. His his wife, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it was, had cheated on him once after they were married and then gave it to him. He didn't do anything wrong to mm. get it. He wasn't irresponsible, nothing. So it's totally unfair and it's easy to say, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. And he's just like, look, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't have herpes by now, I'd have herpes by now. And he goes to these meetups and he deals with it and he's married now to somebody else and it's totally fine and he really... Yeah, I've asked him like, no, but for real, how how has this affected you? And he's like, it really just, 
it's just something you manage. It's like having a a, a knee that tweaks or a little back t- twinge. It's really just like that. You got to put it in that category and not attach this this shame and stigma to it that a lot of people do. So I was dating a girl for about three months. And, you know, we were intimate for about two of those three months. And it wasn't till the third month where she actually let me know that she had herpes. And the first night that we hooked up, I told her, I'm like, is there anything that you have to tell me? Because the one thing that I don't like in a relationship is somebody who lies to me. <laughs> and yeah. turns yeah. out it was, it was a lie of omission. She didn't tell me. We, we practiced safe sex the entire time. But once she finally came clean and told me what was going on, then I ended the relationship because I, you know, I found that as just I, I found the breach of trust more egregious than anything. Because, yes, it's something you can manage. You can absolutely manage it. But it's that breach of trust. And, you know, there are ways to say it up front before you get intimate and, you know, I think that's personally the right thing to do because it, it just blew the trust out of the water. Yeah, I can see that because at that point, it's just like, look, if you're not going to tell me that, what else is going on? What else do you have? I mean, and especially when you're talking about your health, you can't take any risks. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like if you're hiding something like this, what else do I need to know? Yeah. And you don't yeah. want to try to be you don't want to be trying to guess that stuff. My name is Hannah and I'm 18 years old. I was recently introduced to you and your wonderful work through an interview you did on the Sex Nerd Sandra podcast, which I thought was thoroughly interesting and enjoyable. It was really fascinating to hear all of what you had to say, not only about what's going on inside of the minds of men when they speak to women, but the physical and psychological goings-on of human interactions. Secondly, and more importantly, I had a question for you. I'm about to start college, and I'm at something of a loss. Over the past four years of high school, I have become increasingly defensive and guarded towards a lot of people, but men, quote-unquote boys, in particular. I tend to have a very brash, dry, sarcastic, snarky sense of humor and way of communicating with people in general. I can come off as too snarky and sarcastic and feel a bizarre sense of guilt when I may or may not scare someone away because of a trait that I have somehow developed over the course of my growing up. Specifically with guys, I have run into a particular issue that I would like to ask you about. I, like most young females in my age group, will see someone attractive and want to go and say hello. However, my issue is I never follow through with those urges because for me, I feel as though because of my personality, guys don't want to talk to me. So, I feel like because I am the way I am, I have to act as such all the time until I find someone who can take a joke or a slight making fun of you thing every once in a while. I always feel a weird sense that I have to act sweet and coy in order to get people to feel like they want to talk to me, but I feel like because I've shut out all sorts of interactions with guys, they just won't buy it. I would greatly appreciate it if you could help me with some simple advice or send along a few simple tips to help me with getting into the quote-unquote dating scene in college when that time rolls around fairly soon. Thank you so much for taking a moment to listen to my babbling. I really, truly do appreciate it, as I assume you're extremely busy helping out all sorts of wonderful people. Thank you kindly, and be well from Boston. And I don't know what you guys think, but she's one of the better writers we've had recently. She is a good writer. You can. She probably goes to a good school. Well, you know what? This it's funny you should mention that because what the first thing that struck me is, wow, this girl overthinks this a lot. She thinks a lot. Right. Like yeah. even the email, the way it's written, not only is it written well, but there's a lot of sorry, this is so long. Oh, my apologies for being wordy here. Oh, uh, I tend to do this way. And oh, here's the reason I do that. She's probably doing this with everything in her whole life. Her whole internal dialogue is, 
what am I doing? I need to narrate this in my head and then see if there's another way to do it. And maybe this is something that it's going on. And it wouldn't surprise me whenever you get a lot of extraneous thought like this, especially splashed out onto a page, what it makes me think is this person overthinks every problem they have and over engineers every solution. So when I see the actual problem that she says she has, well, I've got to act a different way. I've got a different sense of humor. I'm scaring people off. That may well be the case, but it doesn't help that you're trying to figure out exactly what to do or or debate with yourself whether or not you need to change because something tells me this debate happens a lot in her head and takes a lot of her time and a lot of her energy more importantly. Yeah, I don't know. Totally. No, I was thinking too. She's way in her head, and I think she's judging herself a lot, which prevents her from taking action with these guys. You know, and I always tell people if you if you feel and assume guys don't want to talk with you, then they won't. Like it's, it's kind of like that. And she said, you know, guys don't want to talk to me. They, you know, she doesn't, it's that feeling of not having that self-worth. And so that is definitely going to shine through when she's out and about. And the fact I want to address, I love that she brought up this sarcasm thing, because I think this is used a lot. And I've seen this time and time again, when I'm out there in the field with women, um, where humor and sarcasm is used, but in a way to deflect their emotions or when they're uncomfortable or used as a defense. And it's something that I think a lot of people deal with. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I know, Jordan, you are too. And I think Midwest people, we tend to use sarcasm and humor a lot. Yeah, of course. Right. So that, I mean, I think that's just something culturally and like different parts of the country. But what I found is that sometimes it's hard to really get a sense of a person and be authentic and vulnerable when you're constantly using it. I mean, it's like anything else. If you use it in excess, it's going to be too much. So like I would tell this woman, it would be interesting for her to journal and track times that she tends to do this and see if there's a pattern for herself. Like, when does it happen? You know, what is she feeling when she's using this, you know, deflection all the time? And then she should go out and do almost like a social experiment with herself and try not using humor at all and seeing how uncomfortable or how comfortable she is and seeing, you know, what it's like to not use it at all. And then, you know, kind of come somewhere in between. Yeah. I think, I think for, for a woman like this, a young girl like this, you're still trying to find your personality for the next probably 10 years. Right. So you you can't change yourself to get something that you think you want because then you just have something that you wouldn't have been able to get while being yourself or or being authentically yourself. That's going to be exhausting, right? So you're really going through a screening process of figuring out who exactly is going to, I hate to use this phrase, but put up with your your snark and your sarcasm. And the answer is tons of people will like that. Tons of people will like that. Tons of people will enjoy that. Just make sure you're not using it as like uh, – a defense mechanism. Oh, I don't want to get people close to me. So I'm going to make fun of everything and be really uh, snarky and aggressive towards people or make fun of them all the time. Because I notice that happens a lot. It's kind of a reject other people before they reject me type thing. Right. And people say, yeah, I just have a snarky sense of humor. And it's like, well, yeah, that's part of it. But the other part is you're, you have a fear of getting close to people because they might hurt you. And that's very common in people of this age group. Well, any age group, really, but especially, I think, in college. And especially if you think you don't fit in very well because you don't want to get dumped or, or duped or left for somebody else because it's very painful, especially 
in a social environment like that. So, yeah, you might have a very brash, dry, sarcastic, snarky sense of humor, but make sure that you are able to also be real and vulnerable and you're not just using the snark as a shield. Hey, Jordan and Kim. Being in outside sales, I spend hours in the car and use podcasts to distract myself, and I'm such a big fan of the show. Keep up the great work. I recently heard Kim as a guest speaker on The Art of Charm in regards to setting boundaries. It really resonated with me because although I'm excellent at this in the boyfriend department, I tend to fall flat with my friendships. I'm constantly picking up the bill, letting myself be okay with canceled and changed plans, and just plain settling for less. I just went through a divorce, and during this painful process, I was able to see who some of my true friends were and were not. However, recently, one of my friends who I thought was a great part of my life has really continued to disappoint and hurt me. She drunkenly texts me, lashing out, and seems to be more focused on her friendships as a group than individually. There's one married guy in our big group of friends who I had an affair with. I know, not behavior I wish to admit or I'm happy about. But the affair is over and has been for almost a year, but he tried to kiss me once a few months ago. I shut the situation down and walked away. This guy is refusing to go to her birthday party because I'll be there. She drunkenly sent me a text saying how annoyed and mad she was at me. I responded to this with, quote unquote, when you text me hurtful things drunk, I feel, etc. And she completely didn't listen. In fact, she lashed out even more the next day when she was sober. My dad's an AA, so I have a lot of experience with people with drinking problems, but I think this could stem deeper. I guess I'm just lost and not sure how to respond to someone acting like this. Should I end the friendship altogether? I guess I'm just hurt that she's mad at me. In addition, it just feels like an immature high school situation. Am I just being insensitive? Thanks. Pushover finally setting boundaries. All right, so for me, it just... I might be oversimplifying this one. It just sounds like her friend is is has low self-esteem and is really obnoxious. I would never want to deal with somebody like this. Well, I that's exactly. So why is she? Like that that oh, that yeah. was Good <laughs> that question. That's exactly my thought. So, if she's constantly doing this yet she still stays in this friendship for some reason it reminds me of another thing that we addressed on another PML Friday of like you know, really looking at the benefit of why you're still in a relationship that's not working for you. Um, but I just want to mention, I want to applaud her for trying to use the I statement. Cause I think she was starting to, you know, put in place some things that she learned here on, um, the podcast, but I want to warn people, this is, I'm glad she brought this out because a lot of times when you start changing the way you go about things and for a better way, don't be surprised if unhealthy relationships don't like it. Like when you set boundaries with people who haven't served you in the past, or maybe there's like a codependent relationship or friendship, they're used to you being a certain way. So when you start changing things up, they don't like it because she said that the friend didn't like when she used the I statement. Um, So I just want to kind of highlight that. Um, And then at that point, you got to really assess the relationship. Like, what are you gaining from it? In this particular case, she kind of cued us with that her dad was an AA. So she has a lot of experience with Mm -hmm. dealing, you know, with situations like this. And I have a feeling, and this is very common, is that a lot of times we try to like rework family of origin issues through friendships and relationships. And, but it's like a broken tape. We still get the same results over and over again. We think that we're going to correct it, or maybe we're just comfortable in it because it's something that we're, you know, that's known to us. 
but it's not necessarily healthy. So I invite everybody to think about that. Like when you're in a bad friendship or relationship and you're in it, is it, you know, what are the reasons for it? And is it something that you need to renegotiate or break off? Right. Cause this is even, even the relationships that are not, not just your, your intimate relationships, but ones with your friends. I feel like you, you touched on something really interesting here. A lot of times we have these friendships that serve us in some weird way or that we feel like we deserve. And we put up with all this weird crap instead of thinking, wait a second, this person is, is bad for me. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do I put up with this person? Oh, well, you know, my dad was the same way. So I feel like I can't leave people who do this. And it's like, well, okay, at what, at what cost? Are you putting up with people like this in your life? Because this friend sounds just annoying as hell. And to get to be sitting there and getting drunk texts about how some guy won't come to her birthday because since he's being immature, she's going to now be immature and you're dealing with both of their crap now through text message. I mean, give me a freaking break. Right. But you know what? It's not all this friend. Like I want to put some ownership on this person who wrote in is that she is keeping her in the loop. She's keeping the cycle going by not putting boundaries and saying no to her or, you know, kind of giving her a consequence when she keeps texting these things, block her number or do something that will teach her not to treat her that way. And if she continues to do it, then again, cut off the friendship. And it is, it's, it's something that I think happens all the time. It reminds me of when I go into people's closets and I see things hanging in there where people hold on to stuff for like various reasons, even though they're not wearing it, it's like, oh, well, I can't throw that away because that reminds me of so-and-so, or I can't throw that away because my aunt Sue gave me that dress, you know? What sometimes we hang on to things or friendships in the past because of what it gave us in the past. But if it's not continuing to give, then cut it off. Yeah, it's it's kind of awful. I I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but we're whenever we find ourselves in these types of situations, we can only really control our own behavior. So you're not going to be able to get your friend, Lauren, to stop drunk texting you most likely. But what you can do is ignore her forever. (laughs) And (laughs) and honestly, I would just stop talking to her for months. Do you really need her? What value does she provide in your life that you can't get from somebody else without the attendant bullshit uh, involved? Which for me, I feel like I've had friends like that before and I've dated women like that before who are really big drama queens and there's always something and often it's always about them too. And it's mm-hmm. just like, look, I remember one girl I broke up with her because I had my tonsils out and as, as an adult, which by the way is, is like medium slash major surgery, right? It's it's not an amputation of a limb, but you're 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 under, right? You're under the knife. And it's it's weeks and weeks of recovery time and you can't talk and you can't eat and you know you're you're on these crazy pain meds and stuff. And she came in once to quote unquote take care of me, but then she she would pick a fight every single time. Why don't why doesn't this happen? Why don't you do that? And and she would wake me up while I'm sleeping, and she would do really annoying things like that to to wake me up to to basically discuss some imaginary problem that made her feel important. So one day I kicked her out, and I was like, "Don't ever come back," because I was beat. You know, I was trying to recover, right. and I I thought, look, if she's gonna literally kick me when I'm down. I can't even move, talk, whatever, and she's throwing ice cubes at me to wake me up uh, at <laughs> night so she can fight. I'm like, get the hell out of here. And 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 right after that, I didn't talk to her for weeks after that. I recovered and, and honestly was super proud of myself for being able to do this. This is a long time ago. 
she hit me back once. I was like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? I, you know, I, I should have probably just ignored her forever, but I sent her a text because I did feel a little guilty about kicking her out, right? She goes, I've been in the hospital and I got sick because you kicked me out that night and I had to walk home. She lived like three blocks away. Okay. She's Mm -hmm. like, I had pneumonia. And I'm like, oh, I get it. Now I'm going to be made to feel guilty for some other thing that I did that you've quite frankly deserved slash I needed to do to preserve my health. This is your pattern. I never spoke with her again. That was it. That's awesome that you broke the pattern. It's because it's not easy to do. And that is such a a common thing that happens in really like unhealthy situations or codependent relationships is where the other person gets almost like blamed for behavior they do. Well, you made me do it and, and it justifies their behavior. So then you stay in there because you feel guilty because somehow it's your fault. And so then it, it just becomes that vicious cycle and you broke it. That was a good example. Yeah, and and it's it was tough because of course she was super upset and she she was really really sad and really you know she she I felt bad for her because she wasn't this crazy manipulative person. This is how she grew up. She didn't see it that way. Like I'm going to get him to do what I want. She was. Just, this is how she probably lived her whole life. So she was genuinely sad and upset about the whole thing. And she, you know, we met up uh, years later. And I thought, oh, we're just friends. This is totally fine. You know, she's always been more or less nice. Now that we're not dating, maybe things will be different. And we're in a restaurant and she's freaking starts crying out of nowhere in the middle of a conversation about how oh, this didn't end well. And the waitress comes up and is like, is everything OK? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I need the check. I'm leaving. And I just left. I was like, I'm so <laughs> stupid. You know, like I yeah. I. I literally thought, because I, I just remembered that part as well. I thought before that, I never spoke with her again. It's funny how we revise our own history to make ourselves sound and feel good. No, I did. <laughs> I suckered back into that uh, months or years later, just thinking it'll be different now, and it totally wasn't. So I will tell you, Lauren, block this friend's number. Mm-hmm. If she changes, you may or may not find out about it, but it's okay. It's not worth betting on them. And if you block her number, the key is is that you have to like keep it. Don't give in to it where if she tries to, you know, hit you up in social media or will try to get you in another way, you really have to teach her how to treat you. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yeah, it's it's so true, because, look, I'm I'm I tend to be really self-aware and very aware of these social dynamics paradigms, hence having this company and having this show. And I still again, a decade ago, still fell for the same crap. It's really easy because you start to convince yourself and you start to idealize people in your mind or you start to remember only the good things about them when they're gone or they do a really damn good job of convincing you that things are different and then they start crying in a, in a restaurant for no effing reason whatsoever other than to try to make you feel bad. And this is going to continually happen with people like that. I, we can't speak specifically to her friend, but look, if she gets drunk all the time and she starts saying hateful things to her friends, especially about high school drama, this is not something that's going to change overnight. You're better off without her. Absolutely. And by changing her is not going to change your past with your dad either. And I know that sounds really Freudian, but it's true because I think that it's a familiar pattern that she's gotten herself into and how empowered she would feel if she broke it. Hi, Jordan. After recommending the show to my Uber driver the other night, it occurred to me that you might have some insight into this. For the last 15 years, I've been poorly coping with my unrequited feelings for one of my friends. It eventually led to us losing contact when we both moved on to grad school. 
Even though we were out of contacts for the last 10 years, she sort of had a way of hanging around in my mind like an unpaid bill. Not in some all-consuming way, but more of a perpetual feeling that I left the stove on kind of way. Fast forward to the last year, and she started to come back into my life. Granted, she was now two states away and significantly more married. It was mostly arm's-length chatting at fairly random intervals. While I tried to use her marriage and new residence as a buffer against my ill-advised feelings, it was still hard to not feel everything creeping back up. Fast forward again to the end of last year, and things got really weird. Without much warning, she started trying to take the arm's-length chatting on Instagram to texting and much more frequently. This is where I started to suspect that there was more going on than I was aware of. Specifically, I suspected that one of the two reasons for me not even entertaining my long-term feelings was going away. After about two weeks of this, she confirms that her marriage is falling apart. A few weeks later, I regrettably and very much against all possible advice confess to her that my inability to cope with my feelings for her were the reasons we lost contact. Much to my surprise, she revealed that she had always wondered why we never ended up together. This is where I somehow become even less proud of my behavior. She ends up booking a plane ticket and comes out for a long weekend. In a weird way, everything was perfect. It was the first time in a long time that things seemed to work. Of course, the other shoe had to rediscover gravity at some point. After she went back home, she was reluctant to talk about when we could see each other again. Eventually, she told me that she doesn't want me to wait for her. The exclamation point on all this is that the reason she doesn't want me is because she doesn't want to leave her husband despite how miserable she is in the marriage. Sorry for the long setup, but here's the question. How do I come back from this? My confidence has always been close to non-existent, but knowing that she thought life with her abusive husband is better than a life with me in it has kind of shattered what was left of my confidence. Before we lost contact, the reason that we never got together was because I was always her second choice. Guess I have a complex about being the runner-up from all this. Having this happen again after all these years has rattled me more than I expected. I know that everyone says that time and distance will help, but that hasn't helped before. It's hard to take the old breakup standard advice when it hasn't rung true before. Sorry again for the long story. I appreciate any advice you may have for me. Signed, second best. Okay, so my first impression of this, one, he's, he's a funny actually a, quite a funny writer, but the the thing that hits me here is he's blaming himself, oh, how do I come back from this? Why doesn't she pick me over this other guy who's not as good for her and blah, blah, blah. This first and foremost, and tell me what you think, Kim, is not, it's not about you, Mark. It's about her. She's using you in the beginning to sort of gratify her need for emotional connection. I mean, she's reaching out, she's married, she's reaching out to this other guy for essentially validation, right? And then she comes out and tries to live this little fantasy vacation to get away from her marriage, but then in the end won't leave her husband. This has nothing to do with how good you are, how suitable you are for her. This has to do with her gratifying some need to get away from what is actually a huge mess in her life and then going back to it because she's not strong enough to leave this other person or there's some other stuff going on. And you, Mark, are taking this and going, uh-oh, this means something about me, but it totally doesn't. Right, Kim? Yeah, no, exactly. You know, he there's this kind of theme throughout of being second best. He even signed his name second best, right? So that was the first thing that jumped out at me. And it's like, forget this, even the situation with the woman for a second. I mean, I'm wondering if he has always had this feeling of being second best 
always in his life. And so then here he is in the situation where he is taking crumbs rather than the cake. And is that always the case? Like if it, cause if you think that's all you deserve, then like every little attention, every little nuance, something that will give him hope that, you know, she'll come back to him is like validation for him. And so I would, I would recommend for this guy to really look at his, you know, feelings of self-worth and his confidence and do a lot of work around that because, you know, the time and distance helps, but it's kind of like putting a finger on a bucket hole that's full of water. Like you have to address what's in the bucket first, you know, so self-love is, you know, what do you deserve? Is this the only woman that gave him any sense of worth? And if it is, that's sad. <laughs> so I would like want to look at his social circle, his hobbies, his his family of origin issues and um, so other supports that he has so that he feels really confident and good. And so he's not in this kind of situation. Yeah, I think it sounds like this is probably a pattern in his life when we're just only hearing about this one instance. Yes, right. it might be this one girl. Maybe she's the one that sort of, maybe she's the one that scratched the scab off, opened up the wound, right? But there's probably other times when this has happened. It's just really identifiable with her because it, he keeps going back to her in his head. And you're right. I think identifying as second best, he's sort of torturing himself with this memory of her in the first place. Oh, I never went for it. Oh, I couldn't cope with my feelings for her she's kind of a proxy for his lack of self-esteem going for what he wants. So she, he's, he, he's keeping her at arm's length and making her unattainable. And she's using him to fulfill some sort of weird, not weird, some sort of totally normal escapism. This is a classic case too. And there's a lot of relationships like that where she is giving him intermittent reinforcement. So it's like you finally get over something and then boom, she'll do something small and he'll get right back into it. And I invite everybody to think about that. Like what relationships in your life, it could be friendships, it could be your family members, it could be significant others that are giving you intermittent reinforcement, meaning it's not consistent. It's not, there's no reciprocity. It's just like enough to keep you in it. But then really, is, is that enough? Is that really enough? And you have to, again, dig deep and think about what it is that you deserve. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Hi, AOC team. My question today is this. I just spoke with my sister and she was very frustrated because she's recently started dating a guy who is always wanting to take care of her and he won't let her take care of him so much. He doesn't even like to let her do little things like grab him a glass of water or make him breakfast. She's frustrated because she's a giver and a caretaker and has always dated men who need taking care of. She doesn't quite know what to make of her new relationship and she feels like she needs to be with someone who she can take care of. I recognize this pattern in myself too and I know a lot of other women have this issue as well. From my past experience, however, it seems to me that most guys who really need taking care of are just not good partners and the relationships tend to crash and burn. How can us quote-unquote giving types get comfortable with partners who are less, or not at all, needy and willing to take care of us instead? More broadly, how can we learn to break out of dating a certain quote-unquote type and be comfortable, satisfied, and even excited to date someone who might actually treat us well? Thanks so much for your time and any feedback. This seems pretty cut and dry, actually. This is something that I realized a few years ago, or several years ago, first when we started The Art of Charm, that different relationships have these different paradigms where, for example, Jenny really likes to do stuff for me, you know, cook food and make this and take care of that. And she's a, what do you call it, acts of service is, is her love language, to quote this book that is good and all but the weird sort of pseudo-religious background. Um, there's a book called The Five Love Languages, and uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty decent content when it comes to paradigms like this. The rest of it is kind of throwaway. Mm-hmm. But you can see how some people express love by doing things for other people. Some people express love by buying things for other people, which for me seems a little strange. And there's other types of, of uh, expression of love where you're constantly reinforcing them or telling them how much you care about them, et cetera, et cetera. This seems to be 
almost like a mismatch in this situation where she wants to do things for him, but he doesn't want to receive that. And that's a little bit different, right? Because you can still have two people that want to do things for each other and they just do lots of things for each other in order to express love. It seems weird when one person wants to do things for the other and the other person doesn't want that. I don't know, Kim, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, there's two things here that I thought about. And one is, is what you said. I mean, we all have acts of service that show love in different ways. And at the five love languages, I think is that book that's so great to look at. But here also, there's extremes happening, right? Like she is an over caretaker. And it sounds like he could be an over caretaker too. And so it's like, it doesn't feel balanced. And I think that's what you were saying too, Jordan, is that there should be a balance and a feeling of reciprocity in some way, shape, or form. But the other thing that jumps out is that I think a lot of times people mistakenly think that acts like doing things like he doesn't even let her do little things like grab him a glass of water or make him breakfast, that kind of thing. That also can be a sense of controlling. And so I like I have a dear friend who was in a relationship like this where her husband literally would not let her do one thing, like not even do taxes, not even do cooking. Like he would take everything over, but so much so that it was his way of controlling her. And so when she divorced him years later, she felt completely like she had no place. She didn't know how to do anything. She felt helpless. And it wasn't, she wasn't really even like that before him. And so that's the other thing to look at is, you know, when people are doing things like those little acts, is it doing it in a controlling way? But then, you know, the other thing I like to talk about is about receiving. If you're uncomfortable receiving, what is uncomfortable about that? You know, and that, again, goes back to the family of origins. But um, usually there's an ascribed role somewhere. I have to tell you a quick story. There was a AOC sister that I was phone coaching, and she was really working on this, allowing people to take care of her and having more balance in her life with that. Um, and as the universe has it, she broke her foot. And so she was forced into having people help her. Well, one day this couple called her and said, hey, we would love to like bring you some soup or some a meal for you because I know you're out. And in her head, she was about to say, oh, no, I can fix it myself. But she had me in her head because we were really working on this. And so she accepted it because she's like, Kim is going to kill me if I don't accept it. And she did it. And it was such a beautiful moment because it made her realize how much she's been doing this in her life. She allowed the couple to come over and they actually thanked her and said, you know what? Thank you so much for allowing us to give you this meal. We didn't think you would accept, quite honestly. She's like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you kind of have the sense that you have it all, like you can do it all and that you don't need anybody in your life. And it really hit her. It really hit her. And so people who are not comfortable receiving, you have to think about that, that people, it's shunning people away often and then causing imbalance in relationships overall. Yeah, that's that to me is super interesting. I think a lot of people have these different paradigms for whatever reason. We don't want to dig too deep into the why, but 
it's okay to have somebody. Well, I don't know. This is a question for you. Is it okay mm-hmm. to date somebody who doesn't want to receive those things, or is that going to cause a lot of problems? It sounds like it's going to cause problems. What do we What do we do? We can't break their foot and be like, it's like Misery, that Stephen King movie where Kathy Bates <laughs> is keeping the guy in there, and she's like, "This is for your own good." Smashes his ankle so she can take care of him. We can't We can't encourage a situation like that, obviously. So, what do we do to take steps to try to get this handled? Well, again, it goes back to communication. I mean, I think both parties have responsibility in communicating what it is that they want and need. And then step two is, does that other person hear you and then follow through and act? So, you know, if if one person said, like, if this girl had said to the guy that she's dating, the sister that he's talking about, you know, I would really like it if I could cook you a meal and make you breakfast, it would, it would give me pleasure. And if the guy says, Oh, really? I, I had no idea. Well, yeah, that would be great. And then there, there's communication around it. And then also, you know, the, the guy is giving the girl what she wants. And so there's this middle ground. But if he says, no, 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 I won't have you do that. I won't, I won't have you, I'm not going to have my women do that for me. Then right. you again have to look at, is that okay for you? So it depends. It's, it causes problems only if the other person's not listening or following through. Yeah, I can see this causing a problem because it. I don't. I'm not saying this guy's controlling in this situation, but I do think maybe there's an element of, oh, I'm being super nice by not letting her do anything, and also covering up this weird psychological issue that I have where I can't accept love from people. Right. Exactly. So you have to think about that because it's disguised as oh, no, no, I'm being a real gentleman here and not letting you lift a finger when really it's, oh, I've got a dysfunction and if I disguise it as manners, it'll look fine and no one will ever find out. Bingo. You nailed it. That's it. And that's where the controlling piece comes in and it's more serving his need rather than hers. All right, next one. Hey, Jordan. First, your show is awesome and useful, which means it's so valuable. As a personal trainer, I have integrated social skills coaching along with my nutritional and fitness programs to help my clients with program adherence and achieving better results. So thank you for your content. As mentioned before, I am an AOC implementer. It has brought me much happiness and I am always improving. With that, I have found my dating life is not going so well. I'm a happy, confident, goal-oriented, people lover, financially stable, physically fit female. I don't want to sound stuck up, but I'm a professional fitness model and stunning is used to describe me. With all of this, I'm single. When I date, here are some of the statements that are expressed that are starting to annoy me. I see you're an independent woman. Wow, you're like Wonder Woman. It's rare to find a strong female like you. I find myself not knowing how to act around you because you are so put together. And the number one annoying statement, you are intimidating. I'm sure you're thinking it's the types of guys she's dating, but I have a diverse dating experience. Different races, economic status, different sides of town, even out of state. What am I doing wrong? I try to tone myself down a bit by not talking so much, and I don't feel like I am mean and guys say they like me. Yet the girls who aren't like me, like the less confident girls or the needy girls, they're the ones that get the guy. Is it possible to be too attractive? I'm not arrogant, but I may be too confident. I love who I am and my life. So I'm not looking for someone to complete me. I'm looking for someone to join me in an already fun journey. I show vulnerability to display my authenticity and guys respond with approval. However, I'm still single. Oh, and the guys who want me are the loser guys. 
broke, live with mama, recovering alcoholic stalker, and the like. I do attract the type of ideal guy your show guides men to, and they seem attracted to me, but don't want to take things to a relationship. Are superheroes destined to be alone? Sincerely, Worried Wonder Woman. This one is super funny because she attached a photo. I love it when people do this because normally it doesn't add anything to the answer. It's just kind of like, here's a photo of me just in case it helps. And it's like, okay, it doesn't. But in this case, there's this like super hot African-American woman who is totally jacked, super muscles. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really funny because she's right. She's she's well, I shouldn't say right on the line. She's well underneath the line where it's too much. But it's just she's you can't not notice. I bet when she walks down the street, people are like, whoa, this this is like American gladiators without the steroids. (laughs) So as a guy, when you see this picture, what's your reaction? I think it's cool. I think it shows dedication and and -hmm. mental fortitude and things like that. It would be it gets creepy if the person's kind of like always flexing or decides to get a pump before going out so they look more muscular or is especially when like if you see white chicks do it and they're super super tan you just think okay maybe you just came from a competition but if you've known them for six eight ten months or a year or more and they're always super tan you're like oh wait you just like looking like that all the time then it becomes a little bit much because it's kind of an obsessive behavior but it's not the muscles that bug me it's the i would think the same thing about somebody who always has 10 pounds of makeup and looks like they're going to the Oscars, even though they're at the grocery store. It's the same kind of feeling. It's just a little bit less. It's a little bit more unusual. But honestly, athletic stuff that never really bugged me. But I can see where some guys would get intimidated by that. And I can also see where other guys would fetishize that. Yeah, I mean, I think that depends on the guy. But certainly I've heard a lot of guys talk about, you know, when there's too much of that, and especially like say in online dating or first impressions. And there's all these pictures of like the woman running a race and doing a marathon and flexing the muscle. And there's not, you know, other pictures that depict her as, you know, more that feminine, sexy side. You know, I think there's tends to be like a good mix that happens when guys get attracted to that. So then guys tell me they do, they get intimidated. They feel like, Oh my God, she can kick my ass. I mean, I, these are things I just hear you know, guys say. So with this woman, we don't know the full story. I mean, obviously, you know, we can't see what we can't see when she's out and about. I mean, she claims that she's soft and feminine and personable and fun and all that stuff. But We don't know about her body language, little nuances, messaging. This reminds me of um, a woman, another AOC sister, actually. And she came and worked with me and she had the same thing. Like she's like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm really social and people tell me I'm pretty, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until she got here that I saw these little nuances, you know, like she used sarcasm a lot. She wasn't doing a good job with you know, sharing herself. She didn't crank up the sex appeal. There were little things that were happening that we tweaked that ended up at the end of the experience getting great results. A guy asked her out, but she had no idea that she was doing some of the stuff so much so that she ended up crying in the end because she had no clue 
you know, how she was being perceived. And none of us do. I mean, we can't see what we can't see. But, you know, the other question I have is about where she's meeting guys. You know, like she's saying that all these guys are intimidated by her. Well, is she meeting people mostly at the gym? Is she going to more business places? Like, you know, there's different types of guys in different places. So those are a couple of things that came up. What I don't really totally understand is why do the statements annoy her? I see you're an independent woman. Wow, you're like Wonder Woman. It's rare to find a strong female like you. Why is that annoying? I guess I'm not quite fully wrapping my mind around that. Because she's saying that that men don't really want to date her. They're more intimidated and she gets she gets annoyed by it because she just like when someone says, oh, it's so rare to find a strong female like you. And there's all these like great things. But then there's no follow through because the guy feels like he can't have her for her. It's annoying. Like, why say these things and, and then not follow through? That's so how it's kind of it. so it's disappointing. It's not that the statement's annoying. It's the fact that she's like, oh, this person likes me. And then he drops off the face of the earth because he can't handle it. Right. And I think in her mind, okay. she's like, why can't the guys just step up? Why can't they Got just it. date me? Okay. That makes sense. And so, but she doesn't want to sort of downgrade her level of capability and attractiveness. You you can't downplay that. That would be so aggravating, right? I, I understand that too, right? Not wanting to look, oh, like a hot mess. Oh, I can't do anything for myself. Please like me, right? That's pathetic and not not her not her personality. So she's essentially looking for somebody who can meet her where she is. And she's finding that hard to find, I guess. Does that sound right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm saying like, where is she going to meet guys? Like maybe she's not in the right environment to meet some of these more alpha guys that she's looking for. And I tell women this all the time. It's not about dumbing down or changing your personality. I mean, this woman sounds amazing, but it's more about tweaking a few things so that a guy gets to know her so that that first impression isn't off-putting to a guy. And what that is, we honestly, we don't know because it's just what she's reporting. Yeah, it's too bad because I feel like really secure guys would just be like, yeah, it's funny. My girlfriend's like super athletic, whatever. I should step it up. I wouldn't. And and there's a lot of athletic guys that would really dig that. But I feel like there's a lot of just normal Joes like me who wouldn't care, you know? Oh, yeah, she's working out again. She's doing this again. And it's it's just that's what she likes to do. And it's fine. As long as I'm not like a fat body and can't keep up with anything while we're on a bike ride, that would be bad news. Right. But but it's it's okay to have certain skills. It's just unusual for the, the woman to be more athletic than the guy in a relationship. And so a lot of guys who are really sensitive to social pressure would feel that pain, that pressure, especially from friends, possibly from family. But it's pretty shallow. I feel like a lot of people who are well-adjusted would just not really care. I know a lot of guys who they have girlfriends that run triathlons and they're just normal guys. They don't do that. They go for jogs and stuff like that, or they like rock climbing, and the girlfriend is training for the Ironman. It's rare, but it takes a special kind of guy to just not worry about that and not see that that's some sort of weird reflection upon him or him not being adequate. Yeah, no, exactly. And again, I I don't think it's just the athleticism that, that's you know, off-putting to guys. I I really think that there's some other things. Like if this is a pattern, it keeps happening. There's other variables here for sure. Well, it's, it's not only that, right? It's, it's just, 
it's it's obviously her athleticism and also the fact that she's also capable and probably expresses that really well. She seems like she doesn't have any chinks in her armor. And she says she expresses vulnerability, but the guys maybe don't see it or don't believe it. Or it's just the wrong kind of guy. It's totally possible. Exactly. I mean, she keeps saying that she gets a, like the loser guys are attracted to her, the broke, you know, the ones that live with mama, the recovering alcohol. That means there's something about her that gives off the signal that she's got it all, that she's this strong, independent woman. And so I'm, again, questioning whether or not she's eliciting from the guy that she's able to receive. It goes back to actually some of the stuff we were talking about before. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. If you're interested in coaching with Kim, ladies, just send us a note. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I'll get you to the right place. And we've got the Art of Charm Challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444. We'll take you step-by-step on becoming better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your personal social capital and your charisma. It'll make you a better networker and a better thinker and it's for both guys and gals so check that out at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444 quick shout out to laura w and nyc she's an og fan of art of charm literally since the beginning one of our first female fans she wrote in listening to us in her science lab now she's a real deal scientist. She visited me this past weekend here in San Jose. It's really great to see her. I love my AOC sisters, and she was one of the first. Are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice or our familiar voices in this case? If so, hit me up and I will shout you out. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 